All right, if you would, turn to the Bible to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to take a break from the Minor Prophets since it's Mother's Day, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 20. I do want to say happy Mother's Day to all of you that are mothers, and to all of you that are not mothers, I do want to say that we love you just the same. We don't have a special love for moms. You may have a special love for your own mom, but you know, we don't have a special, play, a special type of love for moms in general. We love ladies. We understand that God made every single one of you all and has a plan for you, whether that is uh, being a mother or not. And you're valuable, and we want you to know that worth in in Christ. And so uh, we're glad that you're here and we look forward to the word of God today. To those of you that are mothers, I hope today is a special day. But I am fully aware that Mother's Day can be very emotional. I am so happy for Mother's Day today because my wife is a mother and we're celebrating her. But I'm also really sad because I won't be with my mom today. I won't see her other than maybe a a FaceTime, you know, chat over the phone, I may be able to see her. That's if she answers. Um, hopefully I'll get to talk to her, but I do love her, miss her. I have texted with her this morning. Some of you may remember that my mom was here two weeks ago and I got to uh, speak to her and honor her then, but I'm sad I won't get to see her. But beyond that, with a crowd this big, you know that we're all over the place. Some of you all have already lost your mom. Some of you don't know your mother's. All right, some of you are just heavy-hearted over the relationship. You know, I think about us right now, and, and I'm not even going to be uh, aware of everybody, but we have a mom right now, I mean right now, at the hospital, in ICU, with her son. Right now. We have a mom in our church that is in the hospital, in ICU, with her son. And that's surely not the way you would dream of spending Mother's Day. I also think of another mom in our church that is in ICU herself right now. That's not how you would think about spending Mother's Day. And I want to remind us to be aware of all of those sorts of things. You know, we have a, a saying around here that we remind ourselves a lot in the church. Life is hard. And I'm reminded of that on Mother's Day. A lot of emotions. Moms are special. Every one of us can say that we would not be here were it not for our mom. And yet, when you start investing in your children or somebody else's children, being a mom, a mother, or being just motherly to anybody that's in your life, you start to have strong desires, don't we? You've all heard somebody get really worked up over their child. You've heard somebody say, if that were my child, right, here's what I would do, right? And it's normal and common for our desires to get really, really strong. But today's Mother's Day message, I want to say is, when a mother desires too much for her children, that's possible. And I want you mothers to get into your heart and mind good desires. You know, it's possible for our desires to be too strong or too much in a certain direction. And so we have lost balance and we've lost perspective and we're, we're out of proportion in what we're desiring. And I hope that today the word of God would help us to see that. 
Hey, there is nothing wrong with a mom that loves her kids so much that she wants the very best for them, right? There is nothing wrong with a mom that loves her children so much that she wants them to do well. She wants them to be happy. She wants them to have this or have that or do this or do that or go here or go there. All of these things, those are good desires. But our desires have to be understood in light of truth. They have to be understood in light of God. And if we don't have that balance in play, we can find ourselves desiring too much for our children. In the Gospels, Jesus had... 12 disciples that for his three years of ministry on earth, he was investing in them, teaching them, and training them. Those 12 were close to Jesus. Inside of those 12, he had three that were kind of like an inner circle, not in a bad way, not a clique, but just three that it seems he spent more time with and invested more in them. That was Peter, James, and John. If you read the Gospels, you hear all this about Peter, all this about James, and all this about John. And there are nine other disciples that you may or may not know that much about. We don't hear a lot about some of the others. But Peter, James, and John, we know a lot about. Well, Peter is the one that was very outspoken and, and, and did several silly things, but he was bold. He walked on water, then he sank because he took his eyes off Jesus. He was the first one to go into the empty tomb, even though he wasn't the first one there. He had enough courage and Peter is the one who denied Jesus three times after he had promised Jesus that he would never do that. We see a lot of ourselves in Peter, don't we? But the other two are James and John. They are brothers. They're called the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. They were brothers. And in our passage today, which is a parallel passage to the one we just read in Mark 10 that Austin Hammonds read in the middle of the service, we have these two brothers, James and John, coming to Jesus and desiring something. But in Matthew's account, it is their mother that asks for them. We don't know the background. We don't know the background. We don't know if they told her to, right? There's some, some good thought that she was actually possibly a sister of Jesus' mom, Mary. And so they were like, hey, if you ask being his kind of aunt, then, then he'll, he may listen. He may grant us your request. I don't really know. But it's the mom in Matthew 20 that goes to Jesus with this request. You ever seen somebody do something foolish and you said, yeah, but, but they mean well, right? That's not a bad thing. Meaning well is more important than doing something foolish. You just need to learn to stop doing foolish things. But it means your heart was in the, in the right place. Well, this is one of those things where it's maybe she meant well. We're not really sure. She does seem to embrace some good truths about Jesus. And we're going to get into that in a second. But all things considered, her request is a really, really bad one. She desired too much for her children. James and John's mother in Matthew 20 talking to Jesus simply desired too much for her children. She wasn't pleased with all of this great stuff that we know about James and John. She wanted more and the more that I'm talking about would not have been as good as the less. What she wanted them to become would not have been as honorable as what they are. She was desiring so much for them that who they were was becoming a problem if it was to be granted, and maybe even where that desire was coming from. 
But before we get into Matthew 20, one last thing. You are to know how important understanding our desires is. Who you are is not so much what you do, but perhaps what you desire. Your desires, listen to me, are a better gauge of who you are than actually who you are. There are a lot of people who know how to keep the outside clean and the inside's a mess. There are a lot of people who know how to live a double life or put on a good show. There are a lot of people who are truly today living unhappy and miserable because what they desire is not who they are. What you desire on the inside speaks to really what you are. We have to get in tune with our desires. We have to be honest about ourselves. We don't want to live a lie. We don't want to be a lie. We don't want to lie to ourselves and not understand who we are. We don't want to deceive ourselves, which the Bible says is very common that people are living continually in deception. We live in a world where people think this about themselves and other people do not think that about themselves. And the best way to get some clarity on that would be some honesty about what we desire. The Bible describes worship to God as being something that comes from the heart. The Bible doesn't say be obedient to God. The Bible says have a heart that believes and loves God and let obedience flow out of that heart. The Bible doesn't say have speech that honors and glorifies God. The Bible says that your heart is in the right place and your speech comes off the heart. So it's possible to do bad deeds from a bad heart, bad desires, and it's possible to do good deeds from a bad heart and bad desires. It's possible even, listen, to have a heart that's in the right place and still do some bad things, some sin. Be so convicted by that because that's not who you wanted to be. It's not what you uh, want to do, but you know you failed, you sinned, you disobeyed God. And so you turn back to God and say, God, I desire to obey, but I disobeyed. God, would you forgive me? God, would you help me walk more in tune with what I desire? Our desires really speak to who we are. So today I'm gonna talk about when a mother desires too much for her children... I want us to have in mind that it's the heart behind the desire which is the real issue. Read with me from Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. Pretty good posture, right? I mean, Jesus has been approachable his whole life. It's one of the coolest things about the most powerful man to ever live, the strongest man to ever live, the wisest, smartest, most intelligent man to ever live, Jesus. 
He was approachable. It's a fascinating study that this significant figure in the history of the world, Jesus Christ, is as approachable as he is. We have books and books and books here in the Word of God that tell story after story of every type of person you can think of going to Jesus. He was really never off limits. And yet, we live in a world where people who are so much lower on the scale of importance below Jesus that aren't approachable. He's approachable. And this mom comes to him. She brings her two sons. Now remember, these aren't little boys. These are grown men, disciples that have been following Jesus now for quite some time, but she brings them. And if they're grown men, then she has to at least be more grown than them. I don't know if she's a grandmother yet, but she's of the age where she could be. And she kneels before Jesus. She takes a good posture. She bows down before him, so to speak. She asked him for something. Jesus' answer in verse 21, we have no problems with this passage yet. Jesus, is, uh, or with, it, with what the mom's doing, uh, he said to her, what do you want? What can I do for you? How can I help? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your kingdom. She's desiring too much. What a request. Now, when you and I think of the kingdom of God, we're thinking of heaven. We're thinking of God on his throne, right? We understand that the kingdom of God is the, is, is the place where Christ the king reigns and that God has a throne and he reigns over everything that he's over and he's all powerful and he made this entire universe, all of creation he made. And when we think about the kingdom of God, that's what we think about. We know that the Bible says that after Christ ascended up into heaven, he sat down on his throne and you and I are looking forward to that day when heaven and earth will be done away with. God will judge the world. Everybody will end up in heaven or earth, uh, or in heaven or hell, based off whether their sins are forgiven through the blood of Christ on the cross, and then Christ will reign in his kingdom. I think that's what we tend to think about. And so when we hear that, what she just requested, we're picturing Christ as the greatest thing there is, the one worthy of all our worship, and then right beside his throne, we got a chair here and a chair there with James and John beside it. That is crazy that anybody would desire that. She's clearly desiring too much. But I don't really think that's what she had in mind. They still struggled to grasp this eternal, heavenly kingdom. They have in mind this earthly kingdom thing. And she's thinking most likely that when Christ comes and restores Israel, okay, which we are thinking of as a, as a, a future heaven thing, that there would be a kingdom just on earth. And Jesus would be like an earthly king. And she wants her sons to be on the right and the left, princes if you will, in that kingdom. So it's a little bit less than what we're thinking of as the heavenly spiritual kingdom, but it still is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel. Christ is that king on the throne, and she wants her two sons to be there. She's clearly desiring too much. Jesus' answer shows us that she desires too much. Look at verse 22. You do not know what you're asking. 
You're asking for something that you don't understand about. You're wanting your children to be in a position that they shouldn't desire. You're wanting your children to be in a position that, trust me, they wouldn't be able to handle. You see what I mean when we say we desire too much? We're all guilty of that. Jesus lets her know she doesn't know what she's asking. We've gotta be careful when we have desires for our children. We have to be honest about where is that desire coming from. Are you wanting your children to be exactly like you when there's no way that they can, they're different from you? Are you wanting your children to be everything that you were supposed to be and you're still burdened or upset of your failures? We've gotta be careful when we start desiring. We have to allow ourselves to be informed and influenced and even empowered by the proper desires. And if we're not aware of where our desires are coming from, what's feeding our desires or fueling our desires, then perhaps we desire the wrong thing or perhaps we desire too much. In 3 John, a real small book towards the very end of the Bible, the apostle writes this, I have no greater joy than to hear my children and to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's a good desire, isn't it? You see how that desire different, dip, uh, stands out differently than an unhealthy desire? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Well, John, yeah, but what if they are making bad grades? So full of joy, they're walking in the truth. Yeah, but John, what if they don't have many friends at school? Because it seems like fewer and fewer kids walk in the truth. Yeah, what if they never make the team? What if they're not good looking? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. What a desire, right? I wanna ask you if you knew that verse, 3 John 4. I wanna ask you if you've memorized that verse or prayed for that. I wanna ask you if you desire that. Are you okay with desiring that and, and being so encouraged when you see that your children are walking in the truth? I know Marcus and Rachel Lehman, so I can speak for them even this morning that while they are encouraged for their son's baptism, Baptism wasn't the goal and is not the goal. The goal is that Beniah would walk in the truth and follow Christ all the days of his life. And there will be joy upon joy when he does. And there will be heartache and burden if he doesn't. So we're talking about desires here today. Are you familiar with Micah 6, 8, Minor Prophet? We studied it just a few weeks ago. Listen to what God says, speaking to God's desires for us. 
He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. God desires by the mouth of his prophet that you would walk humbly with God. So often I think we desire, listen, seriously, desire the world for our kids but we don't desire what God desires for our kids. This mom here approaches Jesus and says, when you get into your kingdom, so she believes that he's a king, she believes that he has a kingdom, and then she wants her sons to be 1A and 1B, or 2A and 2B, however you want to count down the order, in the kingdom. Now she's not even thinking about Peter, who we would recognize as probably being the most important disciple. She's not thinking about the other nine disciples. She's not thinking about anything except for what she wants for them. She's thinking about if in the kingdom of God there's any way to be the best and get the most attention and be on the front of the newspaper or the magazine or the website or whatever, I want it to be my son's. It's like the desires are out of line. David Prince, a pastor here in Kentucky, says this, godly moms should desire wisdom, not wishing. They should desire purpose, not perfection. And they should desire in their children gospel, not glamour. Wisdom, not wishing for your children. Purpose, not perfection in your children. Moms and dads, we would relieve ourselves so much if you would just go ahead and admit, hey, our kids are going to mess up a lot, just like we do. And for them, we have grace, we have forgiveness. We want to be a father like God is. We want to extend love to them no matter what, no matter how far, no matter how bad, no matter how wrong, that we love them, we love them, we love them. This is the way the father is to his children. Godly mothers should desire wisdom, not wishing, purpose, not perfection, and gospel, not glamour in their children, according to David Prince, again, a pastor here in our state. This mom had some desires, but she didn't understand what she was asking. And that's why it's important for us to understand wisdom and purpose and gospel. And that's why it's important for us to read our Bibles and to understand what God desires. That's why it's important for us to try to get to what are we actually desiring? Where does our contentment come from? What is our heart? What, where, what position is our heart at so that we can try to understand our desires? I want to give you two points this morning. Number one, she desired status for her children without sacrifice. She desired status without sacrifice. It's a pretty big deal to have the biggest seat in the house. Every once in a while, JJ or Eli or Noah will try to sit in my seat at the dinner table. And I say, hey, we got seven other seats that you can sit in. But I'm going to sit in that one. And that's just in our house. It's not really that big of a deal. But in your office, the boss's office, 
boss's chair, the owner's chair? What about in the kingdom of God? It's a pretty big seat that Jesus has, is it not? He named the stars. He keeps your heart beating. He made inside of every single one of your moms you. Jesus made you inside of your mom. The chair he sits in in the kingdom is a big seat, and we don't really want it, do we? I hope not. I hope you don't want to sort out justice in the entire planet, right? I hope you don't want to deal with the drama, not just in your family, but in all of our families and in every family of the earth. God says he's going to sort that out. Jesus' seat is such a huge seat, and this mom wants her kids to be as close to that seat as anybody can possibly get. If there are seats right beside your seat, Jesus, can my kids sit there? Because it would be so awesome if they could be co-kings or vice-kings or if they could be vice-presidents in your kingdom. I mean, that just looks really good on their resume. She's desiring the status of them being awesome without understanding the sacrifice that it takes to be in a position like that. You know how dangerous it is for somebody to be promoted to such a high position without understanding all that it takes to get there? You know how dangerous that is? Status without sacrifice. That's why he says you don't know what you're asking. You know how often some people have had to work and dig and sacrifice and stay up late and do this and do that and work their butts off literally to get to the position that they are? Sacrifice is what it takes to have some status. Jesus never came to be served. He tells us that in this very passage at the end. He came to serve. Jesus came to lay down his life. She doesn't want her kids to lay down their lives. She's not even talked about that. She's not even thinking about that. She just wants them to be on the level that Jesus is without considering all that Jesus is and all that he's done. And we're so guilty of this. We want our kids to be recognized as the smartest even when we know they're not very smart. We want our kids to win the beauty contest and they're not even that pretty. We want our kids to be starting on the team or playing this position on the team even if they're not even good. And we don't ever work to put in the sacrifice to become those things. We just want them to be labeled that. We want the status but not the sacrifice. Did you hear this story that came out just a couple months ago about all of the parents that have been illegally bribing universities to get their kids into the schools? Did everybody hear about this? We had about 50 people in six different states accused by the Justice Department of taking part in a major college admission scandal. One of them, parents, listen, paid $1.2 million to Yale University for their daughter to be on the soccer team, and she did not play high school soccer. She had no real soccer experience, but she was on the Yale University soccer team because her parents gave $1.2 million. What about this student at University of Southern California? who got to be on the rowing team in California. How cool would that be? Because her parents were willing to give $200,000, right? We want status for our kids, 
We don't want the sacrifice. And when you start talking about teams and all of that, that is minor compared to heaven. I think so often we want to be able to say our kid's been baptized. We don't want to say that our kid's a disciple. I hear a lot of talk about baptism. I don't really hear a lot of parents say, yeah, he's he's a follower, follower of Christ. But in the Great Commission, it was make disciples, baptize them, keep making disciples out of them. Really, the baptism in the Great Commission is just like a blip. It's the one-time little, well, how long did it take Benaiah to get baptized? About two seconds. But his eight years leading up to this led him to that point, and the rest of his life is to keep going in that. The baptism is not the biggest thing, and yet so often all we've desired is to be able to say they got baptized. And we're to understand that's just a status thing. There's some people in the room right now that I think are followers of Christ and their heart is in the right place and they desire the right things and they've not been baptized yet. We're talking to them about getting baptized. The, the issue is, do you desire God? Or do you just want the status of it? Jesus is gonna sit on the throne because he's the king of kings because he's about to go lay down his life, because he's gonna be buried in three days, rise again, overcome sin and death and the devil, and then he's gonna send back up to where that throne is and sit down on it, and they want to just say, hey, can we sit there too? Status without sacrifice. Then secondly, she also desired strength without weakness. Strength without weakness. Look what happened right after this, and I've held off so far on verse 22. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. And then he asked a question. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? That's a big question. That's loaded, and we know what that means. Drinking the cup refers to taking the wrath of God. The Bible consistently throughout refers to the cup of God, the pouring out of the cup of God, as God pouring out his good and rightful, righteous, holy anger against sin. That's a good thing to hate sin, and God does, and at some point he's going to judge it with wrath, and that's what he's talking about. That's why God killed Jesus on the cross, because Jesus had our sins. Yes, God killed Jesus on the cross that day when he was crucified because God was pouring out his judgment on his son for us out of love. But when he says drink the cup, that's what he's referring to. If you really don't believe me, then just remember this from Matthew 26, 39. Same book, just a few pages later. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here, guys, and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face, and he prayed this to God. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
Jesus knew that he was moments away from being crucified on the cross for the sins of the world by the loving plan of God. And so he prayed, God, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. But if it's not your plan for me to go some other way, then do it this way. Your will be done. And there he refers to the cup and he's referring to the wrath of God poured out on him. And so when this mother says, can my kids sit beside you? Jesus said, you don't really know what you're asking. Can they drink the cup? Man, that's a big question, isn't it? It's almost like he didn't say this, but it's almost like Jesus going, yeah, sure, they can sit with me. They want to go down the cross with me too. Now, he didn't do that. Obviously, it's way more uh, significant and deeper than something trivial like that. There's no way they could have died on the cross for him. They would have been sinners dying. It wouldn't have been the wrath of God for the sins of the world. It would have been the wrath of God on their sins. Way different. But it's like he was getting them to think that way. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Are they able to drink the cup? The answer is they're not able to drink the cup. But my point is they've not thought about it. She desired for her sons to have the strength of Jesus on a throne seated in the kingdom, but did not desire for them to have the weakness. Jesus is going to sit there as that strong, authoritative king over everything because he had become the weakest of all. He had humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because he who knew no sin was about to become sin. Jesus, in humiliation, was about to hang on the cross and cry out to God in heaven, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what if Jesus would have said to that mom, mom, I just want you to know, I appreciate you kneeling and I appreciate you believing in the kingdom and I appreciate you thinking of me as a king, but you are desiring too much for your sons. They're not ready right now to have God forsake them. You don't want God to forsake them, do you? I'm about to be on the cross and God, my father, is gonna turn his back on me for the sake of your sons. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup, he asked them. And in one of the most ridiculous statements in all of the Bible, look what they said. We are able. Does everybody see that in Matthew 20, 22? We are able. Now that answer is so wrong and out of line that it just obviously shows you they didn't know what they were talking about, right? They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they mean. Jesus is about to die on the cross. And he says, are you able to drink the cup? They're like, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. It's this idea where somebody just wants something so badly that they say, I'll do anything, right? The other day I told Liliana that she couldn't have something to eat. I don't remember if it was a cookie or what. Pack of gummies, I'm not sure. And so, you know, goes to the normal thing. Please, please, just please. I'm just so hungry. My belly hurts. Just please, just, just please. I said, all right, I'll give you this one. But if you eat this right now, nothing else, nothing. The last thing, you're not getting anything else. Okay, okay. You sure? Yep. You eat this right now, you're not getting anything else. Because remember, I think mama's making something else too. So if you eat this, when we go to eat that, oh, it was, it was ice cream. So whenever the ice cream comes, you're not getting any ice cream. Okay. So you're telling me you'd rather eat this cookie right here or whatever it was instead of the ice cream. Yep. I just need this right now. I want it so bad. So okay. She ate it. And guess what happened? It wasn't 15 minutes later. She was crying her eyes out for the ice cream, right? She didn't know what she was talking about. 
She didn't know what she meant when she was begging and asking. She was just desiring this thing so much that she lost perspective on all the other things. So she's four, so I'll give her a pass. But us moms and dads, we can't start desiring so much for our kids to have the picture-perfect lives or to be happy or to have a cute boyfriend or whatever, all of this kind of stuff, that we start desiring things that are too much for our children. We want to desire that our kids know God, walk humbly with God, that they're walking in the truth, and we'll take whatever else. Jesus has said sometimes Christianity is lonely. Jesus has said sometimes people don't find a spouse. Jesus has said that sometimes couples don't have children. The Bible tells us of all these things. Jesus has said that Christianity is often marked by suffering, which means our kids that follow the Lord may suffer. And we don't want to desire for them to get out of walking with Christ. We want to desire the right things. May we not desire too much. Status without sacrifice, strength without weakness. They said we're able. Matthew Henry commenting on their ridiculous comment was, those are commonly, listen, most confident that are least acquainted with the cross. Those that think they're so strong and have talked up how strong they are and have all this confidence are most often those least acquainted with the cross. Our Lord Jesus is the strongest person ever, but we also have a lot of accounts of his weaknesses. And those of us that know God and want to walk with him and desire for the young people in our midst to do the same are not those that are so strong that we don't have any weaknesses, are actually those who will admit their weaknesses. We don't want strength without weakness, we want strength with weakness. We want strength that comes from God. What about you and your desires for your children? Do we want our kids to have a Bible? Do we want our kids to know the Bible? Do we want our kids to go to church or love the church? Do we want our kids to know about God? We want our kids to have a heart that wants to honor God. I used to go eat at Moe's a lot. And on Monday, they have this deal at Moe's where you can get a, like everything for five bucks, a whole combo. And since that happens on Mondays, the lines can be really long. I've stood in line at Moe's sometimes for 30 minutes. And one time I was standing there, and there were teenagers all around me, teenagers in front of me and teenagers behind me, and you know how that goes, you try to act like you're not listening, but you're hearing other people's conversations. I wasn't eavesdropping, they are just talking. They have TVs in there, and I was trying to watch Sports Center, but they were talking. And I don't know if it's true or not, they could have been lying. I did know where these kids went to school, they always wear their shirts and stuff. And I heard two boys talking about this girl's mom had been begging them to go out with her daughter. 
And they said, man, she'll even let me come spend the night. She wants me to be with her so bad. And I know it's easy for me or for you to think, man, she's messed up. It may not be that same story, but we're all kind of like that. I'd rather my kid make the big part in the play than your kid, regardless of what it takes to get there. We often have desires that are just too much. Rarely do you find a parent that says, man, he's been putting in the sacrifice. He's been through the weakness. He's been working on his struggles. He's been humbled in order for them to have the status or the strength. More often than not, we're just desiring it because we desire it so much. And I think desiring something so much is a sign that we've desired it more than we've prayed about it. Because when we start praying about it, we allow God to influence us on how balanced and perspective and proportionate our desires should be. I know as I was reading this and preparing for this, I don't wanna be like that. If you're sons are in the top three inner circle of the Lord Jesus, is that not enough? If your son has written five letters in the New Testament, if your son's nickname is the disciple who Jesus loves, is that not enough? See, her desires are out of line. Is it not enough for you that your child Walking in the truth, walking humbly with God. What if God's desire for your child is to be humble and lowly like Jesus? What if God's desire for your child is to be the friend at school, but never the homecoming king or the valedictorian or never the home run hitter, but the friend? the true friend. Is that enough for you? What if God's desire for you is for your kid to be way better than you at everything? Or what if God's desire is for your kid to be way worse than you at everything? You okay with that? May God work in our hearts that we would have a desire that's in tune with what God wants. And may we not be like this mom who's making a request to God, albeit kneeling before him and talking to the king about his kingdom, but where she desires status instead of sacrifice and strength without weakness. This will come when our desires are for God. May God work that in our hearts today. And may the mothers desire that, the fathers desire that, And truly all of the people of God desire those things. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you today for the word from scripture of James and John's mother. And God, we think so highly of James and John because they're yours, but we are taken back by this request and even their uh, ignorant statement that they are able. They're not able. Only Christ could suffer and take the wrath. 
Father, I pray that here today all of us adults would be humbled, that our desires would be in the right place. Father, help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.